off. But this morning, I'm going to preach on comparing ourselves to others. And it's something that I am just, it's something that I've just grown up with. Like, I constant. I, had a, I have two siblings, later on got a third foster sibling, and like, people just compare you to your siblings all the time. And it wasn't my parents, my parents were great, but like, teachers, I, I had so many teachers that were like, oh, why can't you just be more like your brother? And, or, why can't you just be more like your sister? She's always so quiet, but you're just off with the fairies doing your own things. Like, it was always something I grew up with, but my brother is the most competitive person in the world. And life was comparing to him. He used to just, he would constantly compare himself to me. He would, you know, every day, everything was a challenge for my brother. It's like, oh, Luke did that, I have to do better. Luke did that, I have to do He's exactly one year younger than me. And oh, not exactly, but pretty close. And so it was just constantly growing up. It was like a monopoly game in the Harrison household. You had to mentally prepare yourself for it. Because if Jake lost, you had to duck for cover because there would be monopoly pieces going everywhere. The board would flip over. The table would flip over. He hated losing. And like, you know, we, we used to play like fighting games on the Xbox. And I know some of you are comparing yourselves to my parents right now. Heathens letting their children play fighting games. <laughs> But sorry, but um, we used to play fighting games, those games where you, get, you pick a character and you beat each other up, and my brother loved them, but he would pick a character and he would learn every single little button press, every single move, and he would win every single time, and it was like, if you beat him, it was a broken controller for sure, like he would just throw it out, it would get buried somewhere, like he could not handle losing, but that's, growing up, it was like constantly comparing myself to my brother, even when he came back to visit just recently for my wedding, every time we got around the pool, it was like we had to wrestle to see who was going to be the first one in the pool, trying to throw each other in, if I win, it was definitely I was not going to win again because he would just come up with the most dirtiest way to win. But that's what we grew up. Like comparing is something that we just do. And I'm going to open your Bibles with me this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. And it says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned us, a sphere that also includes you. You know, comparing, I heard this, this phrase just recently, comparing is the quickest way to kill something special. And it's so true. It's something that I do so terribly. Like, I have an amazing electric guitar. I've had it for years. I love it. It's very sentimental to me. But there's just times when I come up onto this platform and I see this electric guitar who's owned by Dave and it's a piece of wood made art. And I'm like, I need a new electric guitar. And my wife's like, nah, you don't. You're crazy. You're not getting a new electric guitar. No way. But, but like... My guitar is special, but when I look at that one and I'm like, oh, that, that does, that's prettier than mine. It's nicer than mine. This sounds better than mine. All of a sudden, I need it. You know, we all do this all the time. We're always looking out like the, the person next to us got a new house. All of a sudden, we need a new house. 
the person next to us got a new car. All of a sudden, we need a new car. All of a sudden, they've got some blessing, that, and we need a new blessing. Like, or it's like, God, why are you blessing them and not me? Why am I in this season and not? Why am I leading? Why am I doing this? We constantly do it. And the thing is, like, God's put us where we are because that's where he wants us to be. But we're so busy looking at what other people are doing, looking at other people's blessings, pursuing what other people have, that we forget that we're actually supposed to be where we are. You know, social media is another one. It's the worst. Social media, I, I know when I first started at youth, and it's, it's terrible that I did this, but I would get home from youth. I just started running our youth ministry here, and I would get home from youth and the previous, our previous youth leader had connected me with a bunch of other youth pastors and a bunch of other youth ministries. And so I connected with them. I'd followed them on Instagram and I'd get home on Friday night and I'd scroll through Instagram and you'd see all these youth ministries, ones in your area who one had 200 kids and one had 10 salvations and one had kids hanging off the ceilings and one had a massive band. And I'm like, yeah, we just had dinner and hung out. Like there were six of us. Yeah. You know, Comparison is the quickest way to kill something special. The quickest way to kill something special. And we all do it. We all do it. And like, you know, even, even in church, we sort of do it. It's like, I love what Pastor Marty said a few weeks back when he was talking about um, the, the, like the metaphor between the stones for the temple being chiseled away in their secret place. And that as a church, we probably need to let God chisel us and work on us in our secret place. Because Christians are the masters of the humble brag. You know when you walk into church and, and you're like, oh, God's doing something on me. I'm so broken. I need Jesus. He's doing this work in me and it's so hard. And there's someone sitting in church probably going, man, look, God's doing something amazing in them. Why isn't he doing something in me? Why am I sitting in this season of patience? Why is nothing happening in my life? Why is nothing good happening for me? And and all of God's standing there in the middle going, well, I'm not doing anything in both of you because you're not even paying attention to me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like when it's, it's this constant battle of comparing that we're killing something special every single time. And, you know, it's not just, just us. Like, it's not something that's unique to us. Like, every person does it. Every person does it. Even the, the disciples of Jesus had Jesus with them and they still did it. Like, you know, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they came to Jesus one day and said, hey, God, when you rise to power, can we sit on your right and left? Like, the disciples were trying to get one up each other. The disciples were comparing themselves to each other, trying to be the best, trying to be the better one. You know, um, this next story, I'm super excited to share this because I've wanted to share it since I was in Bible college. Like, it's, it's amazing. I remember when I first saw it and recognized it and it changed the way I read the Bible. But in the book of John, uh, there's some sh- uh, biblical scholars think that John and Peter had a bit of tension between each other, that they didn't really like each other. Um, I just read this week as well that that um, it changed the it was a sort of a mind blowing thing that the disciples were probably way younger than we sort of imagined them. That um, the disciples, most of the disciples were probably 
not in their 30s, but actually teenagers, so between 15 and 20, and that the only disciple that was over 20 was Peter because he had to pay temple tax with Jesus. They were the only two that had to do it. So, I, And was, this was really cool to me because the more I look at it, the more I start to go, oh, there, they do come across as teenagers once you start to read it. Jesus refers to them as young people, and I think if they were 30, or he refers to them as children, and I think if these were guys in their 30, they'd probably get upset about that. But Jesus calls them children, he, you know, the way he treats them. But in the book of John, and this is awesome, and <laughs> it's so funny too, but John is, is, I sort of, John and Peter have this tension with each other. And John, throughout his whole gospel, he refers to himself in the third person, which is already super annoying. Like, I don't know if you've ever had that friend that refers to themselves in the third person, but it's, it's annoying. But I kind of, I kind of like lean towards Peter. Like I feel like Peter and John were like me and my brother. John was sort of the annoying, competitive disciple, and Peter was just like, oh, no. <laughs> but see, so they have these tensions. But John, towards the end of his gospel, he starts referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's annoying. <laughs> like this, just but. Every time John, has a, John is with Peter, he starts referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so I want you to read with me, open up to John 20, verse 3 to 7. This is awesome. And I want you to pay attention to how, how many times John one-ups himself just in this. So the story, I'll give you a bit of pre-context. Mary, this is on the third day. Jesus is risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene's gone to, the t- gone to the tomb, found it empty, spoken to the angel. She comes back and she comes to John and Peter and she goes, you guys need to go check this out, right? So this is where this starts. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. That's number one. They, and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked at the strips of linen and lying in there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, number two, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there and as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus, Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, number three, also went inside and saw and believed. All right, so three times. And like, I feel like John almost missed the point. Like, it's like, he, there's two points that John's trying to make here. The first one is that Jesus had risen from the grave, right? But the second one was that he beat Peter. And he really wants you to know that. It's like, Jesus rose from the grave, but I outran Peter. Jesus rose from the grave, but Peter came along behind me. I rose from, Jesus rose from the grave, but I reached the tomb first. He really wants you to know that, right? But then we go into verse uh, in chapter 21, and again we have the disciples, and they're on the boat fishing, and Jesus comes along the beach, and as he's walking along, he, he shouts out, and the disciples don't recognize him, and he shouts out, have you caught any fish? And the disciples are like, no, and Jesus tells them, well, fish on the other side. And they start fishing on the other side, the nets start filling up, and we've got verse 7, John 21, verse 7, it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken them off and jumped into the water. Again, we see John. John's like, he really wants you to know that he saw Jesus first, that he recognized Jesus. 
And he also wants you to know that Peter was undignifiably naked, right? Like that, that information doesn't really matter, but he really wants you to know um, Peter was naked. Like, <laughs> So finally, verse 21, down in verse 20 and 22. I feel like Jesus is caught on at this point. He probably already knew, but he's caught on. So Jesus walks down the beach with Peter and they're having this profound moment. Jesus reinstates Peter. He gives him his calling. He gives him his mission. Tells him how he's going to... gives him a prophetic vision for his life. And Peter's walking along. And all of a sudden, Peter turns around. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned against... Oh, that doesn't matter. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Follow, you must follow me. And I think that's such a key point here that what is that to you? What is that to you? You know, these are guys that hung out with Jesus every single day and they still were almost missing it. Like even when Jesus rose from the tomb, John is still missing it because he's too busy looking at what Peter's doing, looking at what's going on, looking at like how he can sort of get ahead, right? Even, even I, I read something interesting the other day that John's gospel was written like almost 80 years after Jesus has died. If that's true, like John is still thinking about this 80 years after Jesus has died, like it was still massively important to John that he outranked Peter. And I just think that's so funny. Like it's so funny that we do this. And there's, there's two points that I, I want to talk about this morning. Two points that I feel like are the keys to overcoming, to getting around comparison. So the first one is, is exactly what Jesus did. The first point is stop looking around and start looking up. Stop looking around and start looking up. Because when we're looking around, when we're going to miss something. When we're looking around and comparing ourselves, whatever special is going on, we're killing it. You know, Jesus does something amazing in those verses because Jesus individualizes Peter. He gives him his calling. He gives him his, that he's going to lead the church, that he's going to build the church. He gives this to Peter. But he also gives Peter the same mission that he's been giving the rest of the disciples. He's telling Peter, I want you to go and feed my sheep, build disciples. The, the, the mission is the same. The calling is separate, that you're going to lead the church, that you're going to do this. But the mission is the same. See, Jesus says, you must follow me. All the disciples were meant to follow Jesus. They were all meant to turn their eyes and put them on Jesus. See, it's important that we have, even though we're doing our own thing, we still have the same mission. We still have the same calling that we're still all turning our eyes to the same place. I've been, for the last few years, I've been following, uh, sort of, he started on YouTube and then he's now uh, running a ministry and a podcast, this guy. And um, he runs a podcast called Family Teams. And it's a really awesome podcast about family and, and marriage and raising kids and all that sort of stuff. And I really love it. But their tagline is that we are a family team on mission together. 
I think the church is called to be a family team on mission together. That, that it's, it's okay to be individual in, the, in terms of your calling and your personality and, and your giftings, but at the same time, we're a family team on mission together. That, that when we get together and we start working and going in the direction that God's called us, amazing things happen. You know, I, I shared about my brother earlier and being very competitive. And most of the time, whenever we were very competitive and we were going up against each other, we, we, even if he, like, broke something, like, we both got in trouble. Like, it always just was the way it happened. And, you know, like, and it's, again, goes to that point. If you're comparing, you're killing something special. Like, we would both get in trouble if we were comparing, if we are fighting, if we are trying to one-up each other. But when me and my brother worked together, all of a sudden, amazing things started to happen. Now, this, my mother swears that this never happened, but I'm sure it did, and I'm positive of it, and I'm pretty sure she just tells people it didn't happen because she doesn't want people to know that her children were badly behaved. But when we were in primary school... I was in year, three, year four or five. My brother was the year below me. And both of our grades went on a field trip to the Perth Aquarium. And it was awesome. There was like 120 kids, a bunch of parent chaperones and all this stuff. Our teachers were there. And it just so happened that when we got there, we all got separated into groups of like five or six. And each group had a parent or a teacher. And me and Jake just so happened that I got put in a group with a bunch of Jake's friends and he got put in a group with a bunch of my friends. And both of us being very unsatisfied with this, um, when we got our name tags, we decided that we're quickly going to go to the toilet, swap name tags, come back out and go to the other group. So we did this. We didn't even, and it, was, it wasn't even like, we didn't even talk about it. We just looked at each other and it was like, yeah, we're going. Like, let's do this. Like, it was unspoken that we just both had this amazing idea at the same time. So we go in, change name tags, come back out. By the way, we looked very similar as children. We were both almost the same height. We had the same haircuts, same school uniforms, like, to the T. Like, our shoes were the same, everything. And so when we came back out, the parent chaperones of both of our groups, they didn't know us. They'd never met us before. So they didn't even know so I, we spent the whole day walking around pretending to be each other. No one caught on. Well, Jake's, Jake's parent chaperone didn't catch on at all because my brother's an amazing actor. And, but my parent, I'm a bit off with the fairies as a kid. So I think my parent chaperone was trying, kind of catching on at the point where I'm like, a shark would go over and I'd just be like... And they'd be like, Jake, Jake. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm Jake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know... So, but it, we, the whole day went by, we didn't get caught. And until the end of the day, we were stopping for lunch or whatever, and Jake's teacher came through, and she had been my teacher the year before, and she saw me, and she saw my name tag, and she realized what had gone on, and she's like, wow, I'm disappointed, but you're not in trouble because it's hilarious. <laughs> She's like, that is genius. She said, I've, and no one caught on. And it was amazing. We didn't even, they didn't call our parents or anything. It was awesome. We just got away with it. But the point is like, when we start, stop comparing and we start working together and we become a family team on mission together, amazing things start to happen. Yeah. That, you know, and the thing was like, we didn't even talk about it, but the language was the same. 
You know, as a church, we have a language. We have, we have a mission that we can work on together. We've got gather, grow, go. That's our mission. That's our statement. That's something that it doesn't matter what ministry area you're in, whether you're on this platform, whether you're in City Kids, whether you're in youth, whether you're in the hospitality team. Like, that's our mission. That's our, that's our vision that we're, we're gathering in fellowship, that we're growing in our relationship with Jesus and we're going and serving him. Like, that's what we can grab hold of and we move in the same direction together. Like, I've started to try and incorporate Gather, Grow, Go into my everyday lingo. That when I set up a, a connect group meeting, I'm like, let's gather together. Let's grow together. That, that when, I'm, when someone asks me, what do you do on Friday nights? I go and serve at youth. You know, like, when we have the same language and we have the same mission and we start working together and we're all going in the same direction and we stop looking at who's doing what and I'm just doing my lane that God's put me in, in my sphere of influence... And I'm just serving and boasting in what he's doing, then amazing stuff is happening. You know, but it's it's not just about it's not just about um, there's safety in that as well. That when we're all moving in the same direction, there's safety in that. You know, when we try to when we try to compare, we almost individualize ourselves. We pull away because we're we're either doing two things. We're either competing. Or we're self-doubting, right? We either have, we're either going, oh, I'm better than them. They can't come and hang out with me. They're, they're not good enough. They're not Christian enough. They're not, you know, they're, they're going drinking on the weekend. They're not good enough to come and hang out with me. Or we're doing the opposite, like, I'm not good enough. I can't hang out with them. I can't go there. I'm too bad. I'm not good enough. And either way, when we're comparing, we're doing either one of those things, Right? And so we set ourselves apart. And in 1 Peter, Peter talks about the devil being like a prowling lion. In other, in other parts of the Bible, it talks about him being like a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't know if you've ever watched a nature documentary, but what lions and, and wolves and other predators do when they hunt is they don't just run straight at the herd. They wait and they watch for the ones that get off by themselves. The sick ones, the broken ones, the young ones, the old ones, the ones that are by themselves. And then they attack. Then they jump in. Then they get them. You know, if we're too busy as a church going, they're not good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm out here by myself, or I'm setting myself, you're setting yourself up to get eaten. Like, like for real. But I don't know if you've ever watched, uh, there's this awesome documentary and the, it shows how buffalo defend themselves. And they get in a big ring all the, all the strong buffalo, all the good ones, all the big muscly ones, they get in a ring with their horns out and they get all the sick ones and the weak ones and the, the young ones and the new ones, they, all, they, all them in the middle. And the wolves can't get in because all they've got is a wall of muscle and fur and horns, right? When, that's what it's like. When we're doing ministry together, when we're not comparing, where it's just we're getting together, we're actually safer. The, the devil's not going to get us if we're in the middle of a big church that are all going in the same direction. Yeah. They're not going to get us if we're a family team on mission together. Awesome. Um, yeah, so we need, to, we need to be a family team on mission together. That it's okay to be myself. It's okay to have my gifting and my personality and, and whatever else God has laid on me, but am I on team with everyone else? Am I moving in the direction of everyone else or am I setting myself apart in the danger zone? 
I have just realized I have forgot, I need a banknote for my next. Luke's got me. Dude, 20 bucks. Nice. Dude, you know that you can buy 20 cans of Coke with this after the service? I'm not saying you should, but I'm just putting that out there. Man, your parents' pocket money game is strong. Wow, 20 bucks. I dreamed about 20 bucks when I was your age. My second point this morning, and this one is awesome, gratitude is the antidote to comparison. Gratitude is the antidote to comparison. You know, I'll give you an example of this. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been in church the last few weeks, you will have noticed that our senior pastor has been bringing manna from heaven, right? And he did that while being sick, which is pretty amazing, right? If I came in this morning, having compared myself to that, going, there is no way that I could have brought... like. He, he was up this morning and he brought manna from heaven and I'm like bringing the after dinner mint right now, okay? <laughs> like, but if I had got up this morning comparing myself to what Pastor Marty's been preaching the last few weeks, I would look like a monkey holding up a Bible going, Jesus, amen. Like, but instead, I've got to be coming, I get, I get the opportunity to come up here going grateful that I get to sit under that sort of preaching, but also that I get to come up here and my senior pastor is sitting right there supporting me and cheering me on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we need to start to be grateful for the people that are around us. We need to be grateful that there are people in our church who are blessed in business, who can afford big houses and cool cars, and that, hey, that's awesome for them, but I'm not called to that. I'm not called to business. I'm not called to do that. I'm, you know, there are people that can get up here and sing. There are people up here that can get up and play amazing instruments. Maybe that's not what I'm called to do, but I can be grateful that they're in our house. That I can be grateful that they're on my family team. I can be grateful that they're on mission together with me. You know, this is what it's like. This is what we need to get a place where we're grateful for the people around us. That we're grateful because, you know, I, like back to that story at the, at the zoo, because when I took a moment and I was grateful for my brother that we were moving and doing things together, all of a sudden we were winning and we weren't getting in trouble and it was amazing. You know, I, I'm pretty sure some of you noticed Luke was pretty quick to jump up and give me this money and part of that is that I actually gave it to him before the service <laughs> and the truth is that it's easy to give what isn't ours it's always easier to give what isn't ours. And I actually gave them $10 and they gave me 20 so that's even better. But <laughs> which I don't know how that... Jeremy's being very generous there. Um, but it's always easier to give what isn't ours. And it's, I think it's so important that we come to a place where we realise that what we actually have isn't ours. That what we have as Christians isn't ours. That what we have, like this life isn't ours. Like it's, it's coming to a place where I'm grateful for every breath I take because of my creator. And I'm grateful that I'm not going to hell because of my savior. That, that I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23. It says, you were brought at a price. 
Do not become a slave of human beings. You know, when we're comparing, we're not really being a slave of anyone else but ourselves. Like we're the human being, being the slave. That, that it's when we play that game, that comparing game, we're going to lose every single time. Because we're looking for something that isn't going to satisfy us, that isn't going to fulfill us. We go from thing to thing to thing, going chasing someone else's calling, chasing someone else's blessing, chasing someone else's sphere of influence when we should be just doing it our own that we, and doing it like Christ has given us freedom in giving us an individual calling and purpose and that we get to do that with a bunch of people. You know, the other thing that I love is that the Bible says the first thing that God says in the Bible that is not good is that it's not good for man to be alone. Like we need to be grateful for the people around us. We need to be grateful for our connect groups. You know, when Jesus started his ministry, the first thing he did was go and get 12 disciples. You know, he had a group. You know, we need to be grateful for the people around us because they're the ones that are going to going to bring something out of us. They're the ones that are going to protect us. They're the ones that are going to be there. You know, and then we can also just go, I'm going to be grateful for what I've got and give out of that because it's not my own. That what I have doesn't belong to me. That what, but it was brought with a price that I'm here to serve Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but we will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. That's massive. That we have a sphere of influence that God has assigned us to. Paul says that we are each like runners who are meant to run a race. Like we're meant to do it in our own lane. But we've got to set our eyes on Jesus, on the mission, on the calling that he set before us. Grab hold of that and pursue it. And it's not about looking at the people next to us. It's not about comparing ourselves to who's getting what blessing or whose house is bigger. Or who's, like, there's, there's always going to be a bigger house, a better computer, a better guitar, a better car. It's never going to satisfy us. It's never going to completely give us what we want. But when we're running in the lane that Jesus has put us in, when we're, we're in the sphere of influence that he has called us to, we're going to get fulfillment. We're going to get fulfillment from our creator. Who's, who, and like, you know, I think it's so vital that the church grabs hold of this, that as a church, we start to model this because we have a generation of young people out there right now on social media every single day. And Instagram just recently started putting out so you can ask a question on Instagram. And I cannot count the number of young people I've seen get on Instagram and go, hey, can you rate me out of 10? Or can you... Um, they write TBH, which means to be honest, which means give your honest opinion about me. And like our young people are getting their value and self-worth from a faceless mass that don't love them, that don't believe in them, that don't care for them. You know, if we as a church start to, start to get this, start to be a family team on mission together, stop looking left and right and going, actually, it's our creator who gives us our value and our self-worth. It's our creator that defines our purpose and our meaning and why we're here. And he loves us and he wants the best for us and he has an amazing plan and purpose. And we start modeling that for our young people. We're going to have a generation that will, will be undefeatable a generation on fire working for the creator, but it's so important that we start modeling that.
that every single one of us get on board with this and go, actually, I'm going to stop looking at what him and them and them are doing, the person sitting next to me, and I'll focus on what Jesus is doing and what Jesus has called me to do. I'm going to stay in my sphere of influence. If the creative team want to come back, I'm going to pray and wrap up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you are a God that loves us, that you are a God that has a plan and a purpose for us. And God, I pray right now as a church that we would start to focus on what you've called us to do. We'd start to focus on the lane that you've put us in, that we'd start to focus on the sphere of influence that you have given us. And I pray, God, that you would just... You would just place on our heart, God, that we would know that we are loved and we are cherished by you, that you have an amazing plan and purpose for us, and God, and we would pursue that with all of our energy. God, that we would become a church that is a family team on mission together, grateful for every single person around us, but also focusing our eyes on you and where you're taking us, God. And we just thank you for this, God, in your heavenly name. Amen.